Believe it or not, friends, though uh, Christmas lights and trees have been down, have been taken down in many homes for several days now. My own uh, uh, home's HOA has been urging us very uh, uh, diligently for us to all do so uh, for a number of days now. And though all of the Christmas decor at Target is on super-duper clearance, it's still actually Christmas. We're still in the season of celebrating and also standing in awe of the moment of the Incarnation, the time when God drew near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Today is the celebration of Epiphany. It's the end of the church's Christmas season, which is the end of, you know, the real 12 days of Christmas, from Christmas Day to Epiphany today. Epiphany comes from the Greek word for an appearance or a manifestation of God. It's traditional this day to reflect on the Holy Family's encounter with the wise men, as, as uh, we did so with the, with the children today. If you want to go, uh, come up after the service and see what gold, frankincense, and myrrh, play with them, go for it. Uh, the, the myrrh and, and stuff's a little hard to get a scent out of now, but uh, have, have at it. Um, so we, we follow the wise men today to the Holy Family, uh, and... These magi, these wise men, follow the light. They follow a star to the holy family to find the true light of God in the Christ child. So light is the dominant symbol uh, here for the church today. It's important as we both celebrate the true light of God entering the world in Christ, but also as we take that light and let it shine to the deepest, darkest ends of our earth. So the end of Christmas is actually the beginning of a new season, the season of Epiphany, the time when we reflect on this light of God together and how we might let that light shine. And that really serves as the theme for our sermon series for the season of Epiphany for the next several weeks. So let's hear the story of the wise men again. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the second chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the first verse. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. At Union Presbyterian Seminary, my alma mater, we had a long-held tradition of celebrating a community chapel service every Wednesday at noon or so. And this would lead to a community lunch following. And this did two things. It gathered the seminary community together for worship and fellowship, but at the same time, it also made it pretty hard to skip chapel. In my first year of seminary, on the day we were celebrating Epiphany, my roommate and I decided that we were just a little too busy that Wednesday with schoolwork to make it to chapel. Yes, even potential pastors have the same feeling I'm sure some of us had uh, this morning and other Sundays. So we came up with a foolproof plan to sneak into the dining hall with the rest of the seminary community precisely when chapel ended. And let me tell you, we timed it perfectly. We got into line with the others as they were leaving chapel, and no one suspected a thing. Well, at least not at first. Eventually, my roommate and I realized that everyone else had a button on when leaving chapel. (laughs) The button had an elaborate gold star on it with the words, Let it shine, written across. Apparently, one of the professors that day gave a rousing sermon about our calling as church leaders to shine the light of Christ into a dark world. The buttons were to be our reminder of our calling. Well, friends, with that, the jig was up. Our other friends soon realized that we did not have these pins and remembered not seeing us in the small community chapel space. We were busted. I thought Ash Wednesday was the only worship service you go to, leaving with a visible sign that says, hey, I was in church today, but I was wrong that day. The truth, friends, is that before seminary, I really didn't understand the significance of epiphany in the church year. And this week, while thinking about the sermon, I came back to that button I never did receive. The image that was always in my head uh, with epiphany is that of an old-timey cartoon uh, when a character has a great idea, and a moment, uh, and, and with that idea... The moment is, is marked by a light bulb lit appearing over that person's head, uh, showing that great idea. But this image has been replaced with, these bu- with the button's words, let it shine. These words remind us of our first lesson with Isaiah's morale raising, arise, shine, for your light has come. The people who have walked in darkness have indeed seen a great light, and it is time to wake up and take that light out for the world to see. Isaiah's sparking words give hope to the hopeless. In this image of light, the very thing that provides fuel, warmth, and illumination is the very thing that will guide them. These words also remind us of the lonely star shining in the dark sky, illuminating and leading the wise men to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. Though heavily depicted in nativity sets and Christmas pageants, Matthew tells us very little about these wise men. He doesn't tell us how many of them there were, although we usually depict them as three to coincide with the three gifts. And all we know about their heritage is that they come from somewhere east. The most convincing evidence we have from scholars today tells us that these kings were likely from Persia and carried the role of the fire priests, known as the Magi. The Magi were among kings in the social hierarchy of of their day. So the Magi, like the Israelites, expected a savior and followed a comet or a moving star, seeking the king in the land where that star stopped. 
A comet also represented something else in those days. A comet was seen as an omen. It was usually seen as an omen for a political upheaval. So you can imagine how anxious this would have made Herod or anyone else who was in charge in those days. These magi stopped in Bethlehem where the star descended. And it was not where they or anywhere else would have expected it. They visit the Christ child and offer three types of gifts, all of which were appropriate for a king. So in other words, these kings made an offering among equals. The gifts were gold, which is a precious metal uh, usually reserved for royals or for special occasions. But gold was also used as an incense in the Jerusalem temple. Frankincense and myrrh were also incense, but uh, they had another function. They were used as ointments for wounds. And some say were used in ancient burial rituals. For Matthew, all of this is a really big deal. This Messiah, this Savior, the one who God's people in Israel have been waiting for, is first recognized and adored by who? Gentiles. Outsiders to the Hebrew faith. This moment foreshadows the spreading of the gospel beyond Israel following Christ's resurrection. This moment serves as the beginning of that light, the true light of God coming into the world and extending to the deepest, darkest corners of our, of our world, of our creation. Following their visit, they are warned, uh, the Magi, that is, are warned by an angel not to come back to King Herod. And they return home by another route. The beloved hymn we sang at the beginning of the service, We Three Kings, leaves this little part out. We hear of their mystical journey, following yonder star to Bethlehem, presenting the gifts and what they mean. But we do not hear the act of deception that the wise men commit to King Herod. Herod summons these kings to do a mission for him, to identify the newborn king of the Jews. Herod is anxious about this because he's the Roman-appointed leader of Judea, basically the Roman-appointed king of the Jews. But after meeting the Christ child, the lives of the Magi can never be the same again. They know they're no longer safe to return to Herod, and so they flee. They take a different route home. This part of the story is actually illustrated beautifully by the renowned musical prophet James Taylor in his song, Home by Another Way. While we all feel worlds apart from these wise men from so long ago, there is a lesson we can glean from their experience and witness of the Christ child. And this really is the lesson of Epiphany. The wise men follow the star to Bethlehem to meet the newborn king. They follow a light so that they can meet the light of God. I'll say that again. They follow a light so that they can meet the light of God. But after this encounter, they find themselves in danger. This is a reminder that the Christian life can be a dangerous one. Sure, we may feel safe and sound in our, in our own uh, walks of discipleship here and now, but it reminds us that being a Christian sometimes requires us living in a way that is at odds with our culture, beyond celebrating Christmas 12 days after the actual day. The wise men's experience shows how one's uh, own experience of the living God can be the ultimate game changer. It is the ultimate danger, or game changer. It makes you have to seek out back roads in our world. 
And so after encountering the living God, the old routes the Magi used would no longer work. And as James Taylor says, they'll have to go home by another way. But on this return home, the wise men realize that they no longer need to follow the star because they themselves have seen the light of God. They return to their home spreading the light, witnessing to God's presence among them. And as the button so wisely said, they let it shine. We may not have had the encounter like the, like the wise men, and we may not have been able to present the Christ child gifts, but friends, all of us have experienced God's presence in our lives. Epiphany reminds us to be aware of the moments when we have witnessed to God's presence among us. So friends, our calling is to be Epiphany disciples. Knowing full well that it might lead us down different paths than we started on. As we go, may we, be, may we pay attention to our encounters with the divine in our daily lives. And like the Magi, may we also seek to be bearers of the light of Christ. Reflecting and letting his light shine in all of our words, our actions, our encounters, our relationships. May we let it shine that all may know the transformational love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all. Amen.